You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Well, good morning, The Well Church. Wow, crazy. What a blessing. Let's turn to 1 Peter. Uh, We're going along with the series that we've been following, and Pastor Joe gave me the passage that goes along with the uh, the series and so first uh, Peter chapter 3 let's go ahead and read the passage sound and microphone good everything clicking all right all right first Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 8 I'll be reading out of the Christian standard if you're from ESV NIV or something else Um, it'll be close. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And we pray one more time. Dear Father, dear God in heaven, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you so much for your life. We thank you so much for hope. We thank you so much that you are a good God. Lord, you are holy but you are loving. God, you created the universe and this world in absolute beauty and perfection. We as people have pushed and resisted and rebelled against your beauty and you pursue us still. You love us still. Your plan is right on track. Things may seem chaotic, crazy, out of control, but you're in complete control and you have complete power. So Lord, you've given us church. You've given us each other. You've given us spiritual family. You've given us brothers. You've given us sisters. You've given us real things that we can, that we can have to, to help us and encourage us and to grow us and to help us move forward and see you better and better as we live. And you've given us your word. You've written to us 
You want to communicate with us. God, why? But that's how you are. May we learn more about you and your amazing holiness and your amazing love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, what a uh, just uh, journey it's been. What a blessing it is. We are, as a family, we're so humbled at uh, where things are right now. Uh, several months ago, felt that uh, our time and work was done at our previous church, and we just moved to Grand Island, started looking for a job and a house, and um, knew that, uh, that we wanted to be, to be part of a church that um, had a vision of God's holiness and God's love and God's mission. And uh, oh, over four years ago, I met Joe, and just instantly we, we hit it off, um, called him up, looked on the website, drove to Hastings, and uh, caught him in his garage smoking a cigar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, we, were, we were part of uh, Mars Hill Church, uh, one of the satellites down in Albuquerque, and had connections to Acts 29. And, and so uh, not only are we in Converge together, but uh, we are in Acts 29 together. And uh, just a lot in common, a lot of, of uh, you know how sometimes you meet brothers and sisters in the Lord, and it's like you've already known each other, you're just catching up? Um, yeah, God's spiritual family is real, isn't it? Yeah. Would never have imagined back then that God would lead us here, but here we are. And uh, I'm really anxious to get to know each one of you better, try to serve you well. I ask for your prayers. You're going to find out I'm a crier. Um, and I give you this uh, caveat, default, whatever. Um, I, uh, I have to take, <laughs> I have to take uh, like, uh, thyroid medicine every day. And if I miss, then I'm really crying. <laughs> and I missed this morning. So, <laughs> um, no, I hope, I, hope, uh, I hope the tears aren't just chemical-based, but they're, but they're the Holy Spirit. Um, listen to Joe's sermon last Sunday, and he said, boy, first time he's preached in quite a while, and he gets to talk about how wives get to submit to their husbands, calling them Lord, and how excited he was to, uh, to come back with that wonderful good news. And uh, then he gave me the next passage in the series, and how joyful it is to suffer. So this is just a roll. This is great. Wonderful. <laughs> Man, First Peter, got to love it. But uh, got my notes here. Title of the sermon this morning. We had it come in. Is it up there yet? Yeah. Blessings of suffering. First Peter is a book about suffering. And in this passage right here, it talks about how do we suffer well? The blessing of suffering, and the specific question to wrestle with is how does the gospel give us the power to speak well? Now, I move around a lot, too. Is that going to cause feedback? You're good, you're okay, good. all right. So, try to behave. But how does the gospel help us speak well? Have you noticed division in our culture lately? Is it tiring? I woke up this morning, uh, my phone started glowing and I couldn't resist, so I reached over and grabbed it and looked at it, and it was a response to a Facebook post that I had from a really, really dear friend that was angry at me. Uh, a brother that had, had been walking with the Lord for years and years, and, and now he's doubting 
the goodness of God. He's doubting the holiness of God. He's doubting that the Bible is something that should even be followed. And so three great big long Facebook post responses to, uh, to that. And I just, just, it just hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. And uh, he's one that, that, that uh, is naturally kind of draws towards the left of things politically and socially. And this week, another dear brother was, was posting on, on Facebook, and I saw him, and, and uh, he just gets more and more radical to the right. And I'm like, aren't you, aren't you a gospel minister? Isn't this about the gospel? Are we going to get down into the, the fight and the division of all of these social issues that's going on? Can we, how do we step up above in the chaos? Does the gospel give us any power to help us? How do you feel when something really, you know, sometimes you, you can take it and you're fine. You know, just kind of ricochets off the surface. But other times it hits and it hurts. And you go, come on, man. You ever feel like with a dear friend? It's like, not you too. You want to you speak back and man, I want to hit back. I get angry and I get hurt. Does the Bible tell us how to respond? Does the gospel give us resources for how to, um, to think thoughts that will bring things together instead of get down into all this division and this pain and this chaos? Well, nothing could be better right now, I think, for a church to be going through a series on 1 Peter because 1 Peter is all about suffering, division, pain, and pressure chaos and showing this is how you deal with it so let's look at first peter chapter 3 verse 18 through 17 number one blessing others so we go back to verse 8 finally all of you be like-minded and sympathetic love one another and be compassionate and humble not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. First Peter is saying this is how you respond to suffering. Is it a new thing for the church to go through suffering? Is what we're dealing with in our culture right now a new thing for the church to experience? No, if you start looking at history and if you look at other places in the world, right now, we know that there are, there are countries where it's illegal to be Christian. You can't worship freely. You can't gather together and, and sing praises and study the word of God together. You can literally be fined and imprisoned and even executed. Does that stop God's word and God's power? It doesn't. I think it's about not last week, but a week before last, there was a live interview with uh, David Platt. And if you know who David Platt is, he wrote the book Radical, and he's a pastor over near Washington, D.C. with Southern, Southern Baptists. And uh, he has a real heart for the persecuted church in other countries. And during this interview, they started talking about the reality of what's going on in Iran right now. Probably the number one anti-Christian country in the world what is going on in iran right now they said they don't know it they won't say it but the word that we're getting from the underground church is that revival is breaking out in iran 
They say that the mosques are emptying. They're saying that the few radicals are the ones that are shown on the media or on the internet, but the, the dominant force of Islam in Iran is losing power because people are losing hope because they see the truth behind the darkness of that lie. In that interview, in this documentary, they wrote this. Throughout history, persecution has always grown the church. There's an estimated one million Christians in Iran alone. Men and women in the underground church are bringing the gospel to people who have experienced Jesus for themselves. This church movement has no bank account. This church movement has no 501c3s. This church movement has no centralized leadership. It has no denominations, no church buildings, no seminaries, and if any one of them is caught, they could be executed or at least thrown in prison. And yet, the movement is exploding. Does God and the gospel and the word of God give us a way to respond to division and persecution and difficulty? Absolutely, it does. And 1 Peter is, a, is, is the perfect spot to find out how, how are these people dealing with this? They said that this movement in Iran is exploding mostly from the women. Can you imagine being a woman in Islam in Iran? Can you imagine that? If the husband feels like it, he can murder her with no legal consequence. She has no rights. Um, She's not treated as, as a human being, as a person, as a someone with rights. And somehow, some way, God is getting his word to these persecuted, pressed down, hurting ladies. And it's exploding. How? How are they doing this? Are they doing this because they're getting on Facebook and grieving and, and getting all upset about politics? Are they tuning in to uh, talk radio and, and newspapers and saying things just aren't right? Is that what's making this movement explode? It's got to be what's going on right here in 1 Peter. Let's find out what's going on right here in 1 Peter. He says, finally, I love how the Apostle Paul puts finally right in the middle of his book. It's kind of like any sermon, right? In conclusion, yeah, finally... All of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. God calls us. Someone insults you, don't you want to insult them back? You feel that way with your brother or your sister or your wife or your husband or your friend? It's like, dude. Where'd that come from? Seriously. Uh, I was, I, I did this kind of in our house yesterday. As uh, I said something, I felt like it was taken out of context. And I'm like, let's go sit down. Let's iron this out. I didn't, I didn't mean to, th to say it that way. Well, that's how it sounded. In our hearts, our humanity wants to go, you hit me, I'll hit back. You insult me, I'll, hit, I'll insult back. We gotta get even. You want even? Christian, do you want justice, Will? Do you want what we deserve? 
Sometimes in our hearts, we forget the real story is that when I get hit, hey, that's not fair. You want fair? Go on to verse 10. First Peter or Peter writing quotes all the way back from Psalm 34, and he gives us a, a promise. And he says, For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. Bite your tongue, Christians. His lips from speaking deceit. Be careful, Christians. Let him turn away from evil and let him do what is good. So many times in the Bible when it tells us to stop doing something, it helps us tell us what to do in its place. Stop doing what? Turn away from evil and start doing good. Seek peace. Seek peace. Don't we need to hear that everywhere, at every level, in the schools, in the businesses, wherever we go on the job, in the church? Guys, seek peace. Isn't, you know... We hear a lot of words say, well, this is what the Bible says about this situation. Well, the Bible also says, seek peace. So how we talk about issues should be done in a way that we're seeking to do it with peace and a desire for being like-minded and a desire for unity. Seek peace. And not only seek peace, it says pursue it. Pursue peace. Lewis, I don't know if you've ever had uh, like one of your sisters take something of yours and then they get away and you've got to go get it sometimes you got to chase them down to get back what's yours well as a christian guess what peace is yours and but you've got to chase it down you've got to go get a peace just doesn't happen you've got to seek it you've got to look for it you've got to i lost my bible i lost this bible i'm trying to prepare for a sermon yesterday i can't find my bible i'm texting up to or did i leave my bible up in ord i'm like well great and you get nervous and like i can't even make a sermon i don't my bible well, it was, it was here. I found it this morning about 7 o'clock. I, I sought my Bible. I found it. Sometimes our peace gets lost. Where'd it go? I, I had peace, and now, boom, it's gone. And now it seems like someone stole it, and they're running. i got to run after it. Seek peace. Pursue peace. Because the eyes, and here's a promise. Here's the promise that comes from the Old Testament, from Psalm 34. Do these things. Seek peace. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. You want to see good days? You want to love life? God's watching. And God blesses the righteous. And God deals with evil. Maybe sometimes you think, well, wow, God's kind of, kind of an angry God. Well, yeah. Yeah. Aren't you glad that there's somebody that has the power to straighten out the twisted mess that we have as a world? There's a God with power and a plan that says, I made this thing in holiness, and one day we're going to put it all back to the beauty that it once was. And when it's not that way, I'm going to start the process right now. And he's watching. He's saying, for those that are seeking peace, 
for those that want good life, for those that want to see good days again. There's a promise. God's watching. God has power. There's also a promise that those that don't seek peace and don't seek righteousness, he's watching in that too. Now guess what? That may be a promise, but considering my days, my week, I, I'm not always on the righteous side. I kind of feel a heaviness, right? I kind of feel the law waiting down on there saying, uh, I'm not always the one that's seeking peace. I'm not always the one. Yesterday, I really was just about ready to go into the lack of peace tornado with my wife. I wasn't seeking peace. I wasn't pursuing peace. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit showed up. But I'm not always on the right side of this equation. I'm not always on the good side of this promise. What do you do then? God's watching. Ah! And then God's watching good, but what if I'm not on the right column? Number three, suffering for righteousness. Verse 13 says, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what's good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Know this, well, church, it can be something big in the news. It can be something big with wearing masks or quarantine. It can be something as personal as just you getting along with somebody in the house. There's purpose to all suffering. There's no such thing as chaos under God's power. God this is hard news, uses pain for his purposes. There's kind of a blessing in there. There's a real blessing in there, but it's hard to get to. God uses suffering for his beauty, for his glory, and for your good. Let's see how this works. It says more things for us to do. Don't fear what they fear or be intimidated. And right here is where, it, well, this is where it turns from from law into grace. This is where it turns from duty to gospel power. Verse 15 is the hinge of this passage that gives you hope instead of despair. In verse 15 it says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. That changes everything. In your hearts regard Christ as holy. Something else for us to do, but it's a completely different kind of doing than the rest of the passage. And we're going to go back to it here in a second. At any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. You ever heard this verse where you say you have to be ready for apologetics, that uh, somebody asks you a question. You've got to be ready. You're going to give a defense. You have just the right answer that's just going to nail them to the wall. Show them how smart you are and how not smart they are how true the Bible is and how in error. Are we going to act that way if we started out this with saying, in my heart I'm going to regard Christ as the Lord and that he's holy? Is that how we're going to act? No. No. It says, be ready to give a defense to anyone that asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness. Not a lot of money and gentleness. Get a microphone and an attitude and you can make money. But gentleness and respect, can you imagine a talk show? 
Or you sit down, you got two opposing parties, and you go like, well, I do disagree with what you're saying, but I, I appreciate you as a person, and I'm so thankful that you're here that we can talk this out and find some common ground. You know, turn the channel, this is boring. <laughs> you, you don't get commercial time and, and big audiences uh, without some sort of dramatic fight. Be back next time to see how bad things really are, and you're like, oh, I'll be right there. Oh, turn it off. I wonder sometimes if we could have a revival like Iran, if churches would cut their, I, I'd just make a deal. I would love it if I and the rest of all Christians would just turn it all off. Rip the newspapers up, turn off the radios, shut the laptops, and go into your heart with the word of God in prayer and say, my God is God, my Lord is Lord, and sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in my heart so that I can speak to others with gentleness and with peace. I think there would be a revival on the, on the scale of the underground church in Iran. I even go half. Just half your time on media and twice the time in the word of God in prayer. Do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. You ever done, said the right thing and just nailed somebody and you won the argument and then you have a guilty conscience? Like, oh, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way. Keep your conscience clean so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Let our lies be our testimony so that when people look at us in the middle of chaos, they can say, well, there is at least someone that is above it all, that has another agenda, that's not down here and left and right and chaos, but says, I am, yeah, politics is fine. It's good. It's a necessary evil. We probably all have our opinions. We can all respect those opinions wherever they fall. But it's so easy in the culture right now to take that secondary issue and put it on the throne and make it dominate everything and it becomes our practical savior. That if something goes wrong according to us on media, then our day's shot. It's acting as our practical savior. Or something goes well, well, then we're high as a kite and everything's great. Is there a better agenda? Is there a better message? Is there a better gospel that we can say whether it's things, the winds of culture go left or right, this remains uh, the same. Our God is God. He's holy. He's good. He's loving. And he doesn't change. Those that pursue that kind of peace and those that seek that kind of peace will stand out to the world and people will ask, what is going on with you? For those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame, for it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. And can we get like a, I don't know, dramatic bump, bump, bump? <laughs> Did you hear what it just said? Let me read it again. For it is better to suffer for doing good. Suffer if that should be God's will. Cancer, enter, up into your life, enter into your life. Sickness, enter into your life. 
friends that you've walked with for years leave you? Relationships strained, hard, pain, worry, anxiety? Where's God? The crazy reality of the gospel is every good thing comes from God and every bad thing is filtered through his power for your good. And so when I'm awakened at four in the morning with this crazy Facebook post, and I say, well, Lord, what am I supposed to learn from this? Does God know? Does God read Facebook? Yeah. How can that be a good thing? As we get to know each other better, you'll find out that uh, last year I lost my, uh, one of my best friends and my brother. He's 48 years old. has three kids, two of them still in the home. And uh, the family kind of moved in from out of state. And those of us that were close started uh, ministering to him and bless helping him. And he had once uh, uh, brain cancer surgery, opened up his skull, go in there and, and cut things out. And so I think he had four or five of these surgeries. Went up to Mayo, Rochester, Minnesota, went out to Chicago over and over and over. And uh, sometimes he'd rally and get strong. And then things would go down. And finally, he went for the last time to Chicago, and uh, pancreatitis kicked in. Uh, they asked him this. They said, describe the pain from the pancreatitis. He hadn't really had pain from any of the cancer. But when the pancreatitis, which was a, a, a um, consequence of the medication he was taking, um, brought that on, they said, 1 to 10, where's it at? And he said, I'd say 15 or 20. He said, I don't give a rip about ladies giving birth. <laughs> or guys breaking their femur bone, or whatever. I can't describe what went through. And he came back from that and really didn't recover mentally, almost like he had post-traumatic stress, that once he started feeling the, 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 the things ramping up, the pain coming inside, he says, how far is this going to go? And he'd get fear in his eyes. And he got thinner, and he got thinner, and he got thinner, and he got thinner. We had to make the decision to uh, take him to the hospital. We decided to care for him at home. He got down to, he was, had been up around 180, 190. He got down to around 100 pounds. And uh, we, would, we would put lotion on his body and we would take him to the bathroom and, and we would uh, turn him so he wouldn't get sores in the bed. And he, he got so light and it got so hard that he couldn't hold his head and uh, it was flopping around. And uh, it was just easier just to, just to pick him up and carry him out of the bedroom and, and put him into the, the lazy boy out in the living room for the day. And then he passed away. The message that he had was remarkable. And it's a lesson I, I hope I never forget. Because as he got weaker, his faith got stronger. As he started seeing that life right here is limited, he started saying, then I'm going to bank on eternal life. When I start to find out that, that pain is not something I can control here, I'm going to go somewhere where I can say, there's somebody else that is complete control of my cancer. He had to turn over his business. He had to turn over everything legally. He had to sign over his, every time he went into a, into a um, surgery, he would uh, double check to make sure that if he did not come back out of surgery, that the children would go to the right family member or to the right friend and uh, that life would move on uh, without him because he had no control and yet the joy started coming out of him that i'm like well, he's breathing a different kind of air 
Where did he get that? No pain, chaos, confusion, or difficulty is coming at you with God distant and out of control. So where is he? How could he be loving if he's letting that kind of stuff go on in our lives? And the answer, I believe, I'm convicted, is in verse 15. And he says, it can be translated, honor Christ the Lord as holy. If you have an ESV, it says, honor Christ the Lord as holy. It can be translated, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. How did we, God's holy, right? Do we always treat him like that? No. He said, get your heart right about the reality of who God is. God, sanctify in your heart that God is holy. Who's on the throne of your heart? Who's in charge ultimately of your life, your decisions, your will? your definition of good and bad, your definition of right and wrong. Who's on the throne? Is there a throne? There is a throne. Isaiah 6 talks about a throne. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lifted high and up, and the, the hem of his, of his royal robe filled the entire throne room. The, 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 the train of his robe filled the temple and uh, he was surrounded with these crazy beasts called seraphim. And we usually think of like nursery rhyme books where you got the little chubby baby in a diaper. No, no. A, a seraphim is, uh, has the same root word as serpent. And so it's some crazy creature with power enough that it's saying something every single day. There's a seraphim on the east side and on the west side and on the north side and on the south side and it's saying something over and over and over holy 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 is the lord god almighty and it says when isaiah saw this vision he said that the that the the post of the door shook now we got a pretty good sound system here well and we can probably crank it and, and make the windows vibrate, but I don't think we can make the pillars that hold up this building shake with a powerful sound system. These seraphim's voice go, holy, holy, ah, holy. <laughs> so loud. <laughs> so loud. That it shook the whole throne room, the pillars and the posts that, that held it up. And here's Isaiah, and his first response is this. You know, Revelations tells more about it. It says that there's elders all around the throne, and then it's surrounded with thousands and thousands and thousands of angels, like a giant football coliseum, like a giant football stadium. Before COVID, Isaac and I went to a Broncos game. I won't say who is a Broncos fan in our family, but we went to a Broncos game. And it's so cool going to that. You ever drive by the Broncos stadium where it's all that, that curvy-shaped stadium? And uh, you go in and you go this way and that way and you go higher and higher and higher. And we got up and thousands and thousands of people came and they gathered around to where the, the, the gridiron down here looked small. And these guys with amazing talent, they would attract people, they'd pay lots of money and buy beer and hot dogs for like 20 bucks a pop, you know, to come there and watch the show. They called the Air Force and there's like, uh, what, Isaac, was it helicopters? 
had like two or three helicopters go bum, 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 and you're like, this is awesome. <laughs> Why? Why is this awesome? Because there's people with insane talent down on the field so much that we would like to come watch them do their thing. Guess what? God has insane talent. And there's things a lot more than some half-inebriated guy from Denver that will come to pay to watch him do his thing. You've got elders around the throne of God. You've got angels around the throne of God. Imagine the throne of God, not like some castle with a, with a room and some, some king. Imagine a stadium where there's thousands of angels surrounded and there's elders all around the, the thing that's down here on the 50-yard line and people are going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty joining in with the amazing celebration that there is a God and he's all-powerful and he's in complete control and his purposes are good. Amen. He doesn't have to be good. He could be powerful and mean, but he's not. He's not Thor. He doesn't have temper tantrums. He does have anger and he does have wrath. But he's never out of control. It says right beside the throne, and there's one like unto the Son of God. There's one that is uh, the one that was like a lamb slain but from before the foundation of the world. The Lord. Jesus Christ himself is standing in the middle of all this and people are crying out to his amazing power, his amazing love. I was wondering about this. You know, it says that he, he shows up and there's, he's in a, a blood-dipped robe. He's wearing a, a, a robe dipped in blood. Does the Bible say it's a scab? Does it say that the blood is dry? Do you think that blood is fresh? You get what I'm saying? Jesus Christ is alive and his blood is present and its power and its effect is available for you in your life. He's a fresh savior and the power of the cross is real and near and tender. And he cares for you. And they're singing holy, holy, holy. And what, is, what does Isaiah says? You know what? I have all rights to walk into this situation. I'm so glad I'm... No! He says, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I walk, in, I, I walk amongst a people of unclean lips. The first thing he says, the stuff that comes out of my mouth is nasty. I'm a dirty man. Christians, can you still admit that you're a dirty man? Ladies, can you admit you're a dirty lady? Can you admit that the sin that you were born with sadly still dwells within you and it breaks your heart every day when it rises up? You can say, just like Isaiah, I'm a lady with unclean lips. Just like Isaiah, I'm a man with unclean lips. And will you allow and stay still while one of the seraphims takes one of those, one of those embers from the, from the throne, burning hot coal, and go right on your lips? I've made you clean. Now what you going to do? Sit there and shut up and say, well, I'm glad I'm saved. Or do you have a cause and a purpose now? He says, who will go and speak for me? And Isaiah says, how must that have felt? You ever had chapped lips? I've never kissed a, a, I've been to a lot of campfires. I've never kissed one of the logs. You know, pull it out. It's like, ah, that must have hurt. But he says, here I am, Lord, send me. 
in the middle of those elders, in the middle of those angels, in the middle of the seraphims, here's this one dude that has the audacity to say, I'll speak for you, God. I'm a man of unclean lips, but you've done something deep inside of me in my most tender place where people know the, 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 the words of my heart. They know it. They know who I am by what I say. They know who you are by what you say. What you going to say? Are you willing to say, I'm a person of unclean lips? Or are you going to say, I'm going to go get even with that person on Facebook? What's the biggest problem in society right now? We've got two screens. The one in my pocket and the one you shave or put your makeup in front of every morning. Where do you see the biggest problem? Is your biggest problem still in the mirror? It better be. If we think our biggest problem is them, it's not the gospel. Because then we're proud and we're arrogant. We think we have all the answers. The only answer I have is I know where I can go get food because nothing that comes out of me is just a bunch of more stuff coming out of unclean lips. But there's been a seraphim that's come and it's changed what comes out of me. And now I can say, Lord, I want to speak truth. I want to speak words of unity of like-mindedness, of sympathy, of compassion. I want to be someone that's above it all with a good news message that nobody else is saying. Nobody else is uh, willing to say it because normally you don't get a big crowd. You don't get a lot of sponsors. But for those that are hungry and for those that are tired and those that are sick, and sick of, of, of all the chaos, it's the only thing that satisfies. Romans 8.31 says, Who is he that condemns? Christ died for you, and he's risen again, and he's at the right hand of God, making intercession for you. Why would I pull that verse out? Do you know that Jesus Christ talks too? Over here in Peter 2, uh, Pastor Joe has probably already preached about it, that he says that when he was reviled against, he, when he was reviled, he not, did not respond reviling. He was as a lamb silent before his shears. How did Jesus act? When they whipped him, he didn't whip back. Remember watching the video at Easter? When he's abused, he didn't kick back. That's our Savior. That's our God. That's the one on the 50-yard line in the middle of the stadium. The one that could, if he wanted to, with a word, evaporate all opposition. And he took it. Why? Because he loves you. That's the kind of God that he is. That's the kind of holiness that I don't really see a lot of anywhere else. And he makes intercession for you. Where is he right now? What's he doing at the throne? He's praying for you. He said, I, I heard that prayer. I heard that attitude. I saw that Facebook post. L let, me, let me reword that, Father, and let me uh, pray and do what Donnie should have done. And he makes intercession for us. And he does the things that I should have done for me. And he does the thing that's so glorious to me. You know, you look at this, this passage, and I counted like 15 laws, 15 commands, and, uh, well, it just it makes me tired just read, reading of it. Okay, so what am I supposed to do today? One, be like-minded. Two, be sympathetic. Three, be loving. Four, be ca compassionate. Five, be humble. I need to give a blessing. Number six, I've got to keep my tongue. I watch my lips. They don't have deceit. 
on and on it goes. And I'm like, this is not me. This is too much. The reality is when we have this promise over here that says, but the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Are you righteous? How'd you get that way? Sure wasn't anything of yourself, was it? How many righteous human beings has there ever been completely? One. One. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Jesus Christ is the one that has absolute, complete righteousness. And he says, sanctify that man in your heart and you get credit for his righteousness. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's how it is to be righteous, truly righteous. If we look at all this list of 15 things that I'm supposed to do and think there's something within my humanity that can help me be, uh, respond to people all around me the right way, you're going to be crushed. But if you look to the righteous one and say, I'm going to sanctify that one in my heart, he says, the blessing of the gospel is, well, then I'll make you just as righteous as me. Come on in. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when God looks at you at your worst day that you've had and you say, brother, you're in Christ. You're righteous. I'm for you. I'm not against you. Christian, God is for you, not against you. If you're not a Christian, want some of that? Drop the pride. Drop the self-righteousness. Drop the attitude that, that says I'm right and they're wrong. Christian, have you got into a, 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 a stuck in a rut that says, I'm right and they're wrong? Repent and turn to the one that's truly righteous and receive his righteousness because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and every single word he used was absolutely desiring to be like-minded. It was absolutely desiring to be perfectly sympathetic. Everywhere he went, he was loving, compassionate, and humble. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for you so that by faith you can receive credit for everything he did. By grace, not by earning, not by works. You say, well, then if it's grace, then we, should, we can be lazy. I'm pretty sure love is more motivating than anger and hate, isn't it? And when you understand that you are loved based upon what he did, not based upon how you fail, you can say, I want to say thank you with my life. And I want to try to be like-minded, Lord. And I want to try to be sympathetic and loving, Lord. Help me follow your law. Not only by faith do we receive his absolute perfect life credited to our account so that God, on my bad day, my horrible day, on my simple day, on my rebellious day, can look at me with a smile saying, I love you just as much as I love Jesus Christ, my son. Not only do we get credit for what he did. We receive the blessing of what he does. You think God's kind of ticked at you? Disgusted with you? Upset at you? He does not like sin at all. But at the very core of his being, not only did he display like-mindedness and unity, he wants unity with you. You want unity in your family? Jesus wants to pursue you, pursue peace with you, seek peace with you. When he thinks of you, he thinks sympathetically. 
When he thinks of you, he thinks lovingly. When he thinks of you, he thinks with compassion. When he thinks of you, check this. He says, be humble. Does Christ display humble humility to us? He got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. Is Jesus a humble Savior? Is he a humble God? Does he express humility to you? Jesus Christ serves you. He blesses you. He doesn't... He doesn't repay evil for evil. And I promise you, if you're anything like me, you struggle with that every day. I did something I shouldn't, and now God's mad. Well, God hates sin. There's no doubt about that. He doesn't want us to do evil. There's no doubt about that. But God, if he dealt with us according to our sins and our trespasses, where would we be? Well, solid or smoke? Poof, down there. You're pointing down. Yeah, yeah. Does he respond to us evil for evil? He doesn't. He didn't revile against reviling, and he doesn't do that now with you. Yeah. He's good. He seeks peace. Rather than fear, he brings comfort. Rather than intimidation, he brings peace, comfort, courage, strength, and purpose in the midst of any kind of persecution. At the core of our thinking, who is right? And I'll just read this conclusion. Who's right at the core of your thinking? Usually, I think I'm right. My human nature always says, Donnie's right. At the core of your thinking, who's really righteous? Who really deserves respect? Husbands, do you deserve respect? The Bible says for wives to respect their husbands, but does that mean husbands deserve it? Not a single one. It's not us. It's only God. We secretly speak against God when we fear. When we doubt him, we secretly are speaking against him. When we say, God, I don't, I don't prefer you, I prefer myself. I don't trust your will, I prefer my own will, Lord. Well, the truth is, there's only one righteous one. And he's on the throne. The rest of us are guilty. But when we honor him, we receive his righteousness. The one who never spoke sinfully. And now, he speaks words over you. Words that never revile you or never condemn you. All the commands in our passage this morning are poured upon you with his love and grace. And he melts our hearts. And he changes everything. And now, though we fail, we can be on a mission to go out into the world compassion, a mission of unity, to purpose to bring things together, and to suffer well, knowing we never get what we deserve. God bless you. As we close in worship through music, our communion servers will come around and serve you the communion elements. Communion is a meal that we share together every week to remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus at the cross of Calvary. 
This meal is intended for Christians, so if you are with us today and you don't consider yourself to be a Christian, then we would encourage you not to receive the communion elements, but instead participate in worship through music and prayer. And if you would like to become a Christian today, please come to see me so I can pray for you and begin that journey. And I might add these two things. If you're not a Christian today and you want to be, we'd be happy to serve you communion after you become one. We can do that before you leave. Secondly, if you feel like you're a Christian that's at odds with a brother or sister, and you need to go apologize and ask for forgiveness, I'd wait on taking communion as well. The Bible's real strong against, against just going ahead with communion without uh, being in unity with each other. It says, let's worship together. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you, God, that uh, you lived the life that we should have lived. And we're guilty. And so you died the death we should have died. But you're God. And so you came back from the dead with power. And you sent your people out on mission, saying, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples, teaching them everything. Go to the ends of the, ends of the earth, ends of the world. And I pray for Hastings, and I pray for Central Nebraska, and I pray for anyone that we can connect with online, anywhere we go. Father, give us opportunity to tell others about this amazing freedom, this amazing, amazing lifting off of the burden of guilt or pride, and joining in with the, the hosts of heaven, the, the, the armies of angels. They're all in unison saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So you're alive. You came back from the dead and your spirit is with us. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. And give us the courage and the ability to, if we need to, go to someone and say, I need to ask for forgiveness. I, I said words I shouldn't have said. Or maybe get alone in the, in the prayer closet and, and say, Lord, help me start Monday morning with a new set of lips. Lips that have been purged from the filth of division, self-seeking. And right now, can we come together as we take these elements and go, this juice is a picture of what it took, the blood that it took to make me clean. And this bread is the body that was broken, lived and then broken uh, because I've messed up. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.